Bring it in. We are jam-packed. March Madness, second weekend, starts as we are recording this, just a couple hours away, Thursday afternoon. Uh, and we got a whole bunch of stuff to get into. Obviously, March Madness, that is going to be the main storyline this weekend. But, you know, I was going back, and I believe the last eight podcasts we've done, dating back to the Russell Wilson trade, there has been a blockbuster trade that has led off the podcast. And today's podcast is no exception. The NFL yeah. took a page out of the NBA's playbook. So we're going to hit on the Tyreek Hill trade that seemingly came out of nowhere. We're going to review last weekend's March Madness, get everybody caught up because there's always that gap during the week where you kind of forget stuff that happens. We're going to refresh everyone's memory and then we're going to preview the Sweet 16 as well as uh, talk about the greatest Philadelphia Eagles uh, online or sorry, not online TV show performance since John Dorenbos finished third in America's Got Talent. So uh, we'll get into all of that. Wow. Here. And my what man, callback. My man, Scotty <laughs> Miller. Is joined, uh, as I said, on Tuesday's pod. No veto this week, so hopefully we get him back on Tuesday. Scotty, how are you, buddy? Buona pomeriggio. Italy's playing right now. So I'm watching that on one screen, the World Cup qualifier game. Uh, and then we got a, a loaded night tonight with the, with the Sweet 16, so I'm stoked, man. Plus all this NFL stuff. I love spring. Spring is underrated in terms of sports because NFL dominates – I've said this before on the podcast, the NFL dominates everything, but in the fall, all the games take over and, and you're, you're glued to it every week. Now we've got like, not only am I watching the, the world cup qualifying, we've got the sweet 16 going on. We've got NFL free agency, which is crazy. It's turning the NBA free agency and the NBA's in the stretch run. There's 10 games left until we hit the playoffs. It's, it's madness, man. And then baseball's back. It's unbelievable. It's Plus awesome. Cup and the, you got in <laughs> Masters and now PJ PJ yeah. Championship is in right the spring the too. We got the, the draft coming up for the NFL. Oh. It's gonna be nuts, man. You know what I think? I think the sports calendar is like is like a this is gonna be very Colin Coward of me. I know I did that last week, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go into my Colin Coward playbook. It's like a dating cycle. It it really is, right? Like let's say we'll start at like June, July, right? Like we'll say July, right? We're just starting to get ready for training camp, right? So that's like you go out on your first date with a girl and uh, or a guy, and you're like, oh, he's kind of cute. She's kind of cute. You know, you kind of feeling each other out. And then training camp comes along, and it's like, okay, it's a little serious, more serious. Maybe she meets a couple of your friends. And then the season starts, and that's like you guys are like officially dating, right? Like your Facebook official boyfriend, girlfriend. And then throughout the football season. <laughs> that's an antiquated sentence. <laughs> yeah, right? The, 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 there's going to be a deep cut of people who understand that. Any of the millennials listening will understand that. Uh, and then as the season progresses, it's like, oh, this is great. Oh, we still have all this stuff, right? And then you get to the Super Bowl. And then like the day after the Super Bowl is like you break up. Right. And then you're in this like depressed state. Right. And then you're just kind of like, oh, man, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then the springtime is when you finally start to get out of that depression after a breakup and maybe you go on a couple of dates. You hang out with the boys. You go do some stuff. The weather gets a little warmer. Take a couple trips. And next thing you know, bang, you're in July and you're ready to start dating a girl all over again. That was off the cuff. I need an analogy ranking from you right now. Give me a scale of one to ten how that was as an analogy. Uh, 10 being the best. Yeah. I got it at a 12. That was unbelievable. 12 <laughs> off the dome too. Mike, I, I have to admit, I did used to listen to Colin Coward, but I've always been a big analogy guy. So I'm not going to say that, uh, 
I was molded by the herd. By, <laughs> by the herd. Um, so we're going to hit two stories from the NFL, one a big thing and one that's not really a big thing, uh, but just needs to be talked about. So we'll start with the big news. Tyreek Hill traded to the Miami Dolphins from Kansas City. This is the second wide receiver trade in the last two in the last week. Second that, superstar wide receiver trade. Yeah, top three wide receiver, top five wide receiver traded from a team that doesn't make sense to me. Now I've I've I still don't get the Devontae Adams trade from from the Packers perspective. That still doesn't make sense to me. I get I'm like more optimistic about what it means for Devontae Adams. I don't get this for on I, either side. Yeah, I'm well. I no, I disagree. I get it for the Dolphins and we'll get into the Dolphins side of this too, because I actually think this is a phenomenal, phenomenal decision by, uh, by the Miami Dolphins. But um, now they gave up a lot for him. The compensation for this was absurd. I think it was what, like five draft picks overall. Um, is it more than Devonte Adams? It was more. It, I think it was so, more. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to pull up the exact details right now from Shefty. Um, but it was, a very, very, very uh, big um, haul, we'll say, right, to get Tyreek Hill. Um, I The reason I don't get this for, for Kansas City, right, you have Travis Kelsey is going into age 33, his age 33 season, right? Tyreek Hill just turned 28. Tyreek Hill is a six-time pro bowler, and he just turned 28. Basically, every year he's been in the league, he has been a pro bowl wide receiver. His production, even though the Chiefs had their down stuff, and it, it may not have been as dominant as it's been in years past, he was still off the charts. He was still top five in receiving yards. He was still top five in receptions. He still broke big plays. I'm pretty sure he was second or third in the league in yards per catch. You know, And it's not just the, the stretch, the field, which is what I felt like what I've seen online here, that that's what everyone's been focusing in on, and that's part of the reason why I'm excited for him in Miami. Tyreek Hill does a lot more than that. You use them in the end arounds. You use them in the, in the quick wide receiver bubble screens. You use them underneath. With, with right? McDaniel, like what he did with Debo. Now you got two Debos and Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Exactly, right. That you so can that, mess around and, with. And I want to get into some of that stuff with Miami too. But from the Kansas City side, Tyreek Hill, I think, covered up a lot of holes last year. A, like a lot of holes, right? They yeah. lose Sammy Watkins. They never really had a true number two receiver. They obviously have Kelsey. And Kelsey – had his most up and down season, right? He had some monster games and he had some games where he got taken out. And that's, what's going to happen when you hit it, when you have was, a tight end, who's he was on your fantasy team. That's why. Oh, they both were. <laughs> yeah. I went with the handcuff and it, it actually worked out pretty well for me for most of the year, but Kelsey <laughs> yeah. was more boomer bust than he had ever been rather than the, you know, he's getting 10 catches and hundred yards every single game. Like he was for the last three years up until this point, Travis Kelsey is starting to hit the decline. I still think he's going to be really productive for another few three or four years, probably. And depending on how long he hangs around. And I get that he's probably more of the safety blanket than Tyreek Hill is, but I've been trying to think to myself, what, like, what is it that Kansas city was like, this is where we have to cut this off. Right. And part of it was the money. The money was a huge part of it, right? $120 million extension for Tyreek Hill. Well, it's the biggest because of what you're paying Mahomes too. That's the big problem. That's no question plays a part of that, but even the year in year out value of his contract isn't awful, right? The YPA, the, or the, um, yeah. I forget what the thing is, but the, the, the amount he gets paid per year, is actually not that bad can comparatively to, you know, what we're going to see now from Deshaun Watson and in even Aaron Rodgers, who's making basically 50 million a year. Uh, 
his is somewhere in that like 40 million a year, which again is still not super affordable by any means, but Tyreek Hill wanted a big contract. So I think money is the first thing that plays a part of this. The other thing in trying to think about it from a football perspective is that the one area of the, of Mahomes and the chiefs that never really got fixed, even though they went on that big winning streak last year was the deep ball. They, he, the deep ball, the crazy Mahomes bombs. Like I don't remember. I remember one against Philly in that game when they put up like 48 points, he hit uh, Tyree kill and Tyree kill had three touchdown catches in that game. So I remember one deep ball to Hill, but other than that, there was no signature Mahomes letting it rip 70 yards down the field yeah. throw. Like we had kind of seen in years past. So I almost wonder, like, hey, are the Chiefs thinking, you know what, maybe the league did figure us out a little bit. Maybe we do need to adjust things. And they go out and get Juju, who I thought was going to be a perfect pairing with Kelsey and Hill. And now today they signed. Absolutely. But then today they signed Marquez Valdez or, yeah, Marquez Valdez Scantling to uh, to replace Hill, which I, I just MVS, Juju, and then an aging Travis Kelsey. I don't see how that makes you a better football team than no. than having Tyreek Hill. You know, I get you're getting the two guys compared to the one, and MVS has shown some abilities to, you know, break loose and, and get the top off the defense. And we've seen Juju be really good at times, but he hasn't been able to stay on the field. And he hasn't been as productive since his first two years in the league. Yeah. So I'll give you two use cases, right? Okay. So Juju is one dimensional as, as a slot receiver. And you, your intent is to use him as that. That's why you signed him, right? Uh, MVS can take the top off the ball. Uh, we've seen that with, with Aaron Rodgers. That's, that's not a question. The question is now, okay, you're getting a, a receiver who can take the top off the ball that is, that is not quite as fast and not quite as good at catching the ball as, as Tyree Kill is. So you have the same problem that you had last year, but with slightly worse personnel, Right. So now teams are just going to go, oh, I'll still play too high safety, take take Scantling, Marquez Valdez Scantling out of the equation and make him throw to, to Travis Kelsey. The problem if you try to get dynamic with that is the second use case where, where the, the two or three receivers are, are dynamic, particularly the two I, I mentioned, Marquez Valdez Scantling and uh, and Juju. Wow, that's there's a lot of names in that wide receiver core, by the way, just like inter- pound for pound. Um so Juju and, and MVS, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So the second use case here is Juju and MVS are, are going to get more dynamic uh, and, and run a lot of routes that, that help cross each other and confuse the defense. But the problem is now that you've, you've got the safeties playing, uh, playing deep to cover those two, you've got help on the back end. Now we've, we've got an extra guy in the, in the middle of the field to cover, uh, to cover Travis Kelsey. So now we'll shade him and make you throw the ball to one of those two guys who's who's not open essentially, right? Yeah. So you have a you're almost in a worse position offensively than you were with Tyreek because at least Tyreek could beat most guys. Yeah, right. Regardless of the too high safety thing, we we talked about that ad nauseum last year. So this, it feels like they're going a little bit with the you know Tyreek Hill was the one in the hand; those two guys are the two in the bush. Right. One of the hands worth yeah. two in the bush. And, Which, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea because it's easier to focus in on one amazing player than two pretty good players. Right. And there are three or versus, you know, two versus three. Right. Between Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, now you're going to have Juju, MVS and Travis Kelsey. So now you're at least forcing the defense 
to respect and acknowledge those two guys on the outside. Whereas you were less worried about McCole Hardman, you know, splitting out wide yeah, yeah. Or, or whatever. Right. And I think they still have McCole Hardman too. So they're going to have guys who have speed. And I also think too, using Tyreek Hill for the sole purpose of just taking the top off the defense is wasting him. Right. If it's Torrey Smith, you have doing that. That's one thing. Right. Or even a McCole Hardman, you have that. It's one thing you want to be it's able to Jackson. use. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is they always had that number two wide receiver, with particularly with Sammy Watkins, who was good enough that you had to respect him for. And I think Juju fits that spot perfectly. This offense, I think, will look about the same as it did last year. Uh, I, I don't think it makes them better. I don't think it makes them worse. And clearly it's like, hey, well, we can't afford or don't want to pay Tyreek as much as he's asking for without it completely bankrupting the rest of our defense. So we'll trade for five draft picks, a 2022 first number 29 overall, a second uh, round pick number 50, a fourth round pick, and then fourth and sixth picks in next year's draft. So they're getting three more draft picks this year and field Yates field Yates tweeted out the chiefs have two picks in the first, second, third, and fourth round. So they have eight picks in the first four round. They have two every round. So they're going to be able to re, uh, you know, replenish themselves yeah. in young talent. Which the rich get richer, Hefe. <laughs> yeah, no question. Um, to be honest, the thing that bothers me the most about this was Bart Scott, the day before this trade, went on to get up or one of those shows and made just an absolutely outrageous take that the Chiefs weren't going to make the playoffs. And everyone ripped him for it and said, oh, this is (laughs) such a garbage take. What the hell are you talking about? And now the next day, Tyreek Hill gets traded and he's going to be able to use it as a victory lap if the Chiefs don't end up making the playoffs. I still think Patrick Mahomes elevates the talent around him. I mean, think about Juju was playing with, with, you know, Big Ben for three years, falling apart and Mason Rudolph for a year. And he still had multiple thousand yard seasons. Yeah, but they also weren't playing. And this is where I think the that that point has some validity that division is far and away the best division the best talent in a single division i've ever seen ever and so yeah mahomes is great he's probably you know i'm not going to put him on that pedestal yet okay but he's done great things and i know how much better he makes you uh when he's when he's taking the ball but that division's tough. I mean, tough. really, really tough. And and I think the optic is, and this is the part of the issue with it, the optic is, okay, you didn't keep the core group together in Mahomes, uh, Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. That was your bread and butter for those three, four years that you were making a run. So if you can't build around that and instead give one of those pieces away, I think it's a – uh, it looks like optically a step back, not a step forward when everyone else in the division has taken giant leaps to, to make their team better. Yeah. I, and when we did the division, we ranked this division, the three of us a couple of weeks ago, and I still had Kansas city number one. And I, I Hey, until now, they prove otherwise. Yeah. And you know? now, now I think it's, I think it's pretty even. Like I, I think that's anybody's division. I think the Raiders, because we, we made that list before Devonte Adams got traded. So you add Devontae Adams onto the Raiders, and now you look at that division, and any one of those four teams could be the best team in that division. The Chargers yeah. have gotten so much better. They're in a prime position, too, to draft Jordan Davis, who if you throw Jordan Davis on oh. that defensive line, <laughs> then boom, there's your interior run stopper, and, and I don't see holes in that defense at that point. Uh, you know, We've obviously gone over what the Broncos are like and how much we think Russ is going to elevate them, but there is an explosive, like, 
element to Tyreek Hill. Like when you have a special player like Tyreek Hill, there are special plays that happen that bail you out of tough circumstances. And they're not going to have that now. There's a lot of times Tyreek Hill bailed them out of stuff with just his little quick moves at the line. And all of a sudden it's like, he should have been tackled for a one yard loss on a bubble screen. And instead it turns into a 17 yard scramble and he picks it up a first down and then some. So we're going to see more of that with Tyreek Hill uh, in Miami, which is why I think this is a great deal for Miami, but we're not going to see that in the, for the chiefs when they hit, you know, crunch time moments, like is Juju going to be the guy who picks up a huge play? Obviously they still have Travis Kelsey, but they had two elite guys, the arguably the best tight end and one of the top three wide receivers in football. Mm-hmm. Either one of them could make those special game, you know, backbreaking plays. Like I think about the the Travis Kelsey long ass touchdown run against Baltimore in week two when you and I were there. Remember, I had tra- I had put together a parlay and I had Travis Kelsey <laughs> score a touchdown was in it, and I was about to hit a big payday, and then Clyde Edwards-Helaire fumbles, and then the Ravens end up winning that game, but. Kansas City, to me, it's a lateral move when you look at the grand scheme of things, right? When you look at the bigger picture, I think their overall numbers, I think Mahomes' numbers will all be just as good as they've been. But I think when they get into the playoffs and they have moments where it's like, hey, we need a huge play. We have to go to our best playmaker. Now that option is only Travis Kelsey, who's going to be 33. And then maybe – And everyone in the the stadium is going to know it, right? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Shit, now, the world's triple team, Travis. I, like, who cares? Now, that's yeah. why it's good to pick up other reliable players like MVS, even though he's had his issues with drops. But then Juju Smith-Suster, right? Because if the defense is double-teaming Kelsey, that's going to create an opportunity for one of those guys. But it was a lot harder when it was Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey you were worried about defending and not, you know, yeah. Juju Smith-Suster and, and McCall Hardman and MVS. Uh, the Miami side of this, though, I think is – I think it's a home run. Because the I've said this for a while about Tyreek Hill. Everyone knows the speed, and we all know how he can break long touchdown catch. He's done it a million times. The thing about Tyreek, we, we jump out on him because it's like, oh, he's just like Deshaun Watson, right? He just takes the top off the defense. He's so much more than that. They use him in so many different ways. He's not built like Deshaun Jackson. He probably weighs 30 pounds more than Deshaun Jackson, even though they might be the same height. He's, I think he's a better route runner, too. By yeah, the way. I mean, he played running back in college. Like people forget that about Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill played running back at Oklahoma State, and he was the punt returner, kick returner, and he obviously caught some balls and lined up in the slot and did some other things too. But the way that they're going to be able to use Tyreek Hill, like you said, just like how Mike McDaniel's used or Mike McDaniel used Debo, we're going to see a lot of that with Tyreek Hill. And you're not going to have to sacrifice. All right, well now we don't have the deep threat because you have Jalen Waddle still there as well. And they have Devontae Parker, who's they signed to an extension a couple of years ago and is a pretty damn and good Gisicki, receiver. And then receiver, they got Mike Gesicki, who, who's been <laughs> awesome and has great chemistry with Tua. I, this is the we're going all in on making Tua as successful as possible. And the one the one piece, the one uh, move that the Dolphins made this year, which is probably going to go unnoticed more so um, than any other ones, but arguably the best free agent available in this class was Teron Armstead, the left tackle from the Saints. Yeah. And signing him to a contract, and now you got Tua's offensive line squared away. That is massive. Yeah, it. I think. I think so. That's a wait and see for me. Now, granted, I'm not questioning the the talent level of the person you signed, right? But the fact is that that offensive line has been historically bad. Like, look at all the money and capital that they put into into that line over the last 15 years, And, and it's been historically bad. 
point number one. Point number two is that Armstead is not on Tua's blind side because Tua's left-handed. So, yeah, but you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I yes, the blind side part of it is big. I think the movie played a lot to do with that, like in how we all think about the left. <laughs> I legitimately do. I think we, it was it was I, one of those little good at escaping too. Yeah, but it was one of those little like inside football things that like, oh, not super big football fans learned from watching that movie because we all saw what happened to Joe Theismann, right? And they opened the movie with that. So I think it's one of those things that we, I think having a straw, like a stud left tackle is huge, right? Like I look at, you know, the Eagles for years have had Lane Johnson. Lane Johnson's a right tackle. He's been one of the best tackles in all of football. Having him on that side of the field is huge. And also think about who we're talking about as the play caller and Mike McDaniel. He likes to run the football. Right. He wants to, and, and to do that, you have to be strong at both sides. They also signed Connor Williams, who was uh, one of the guards on the Dallas Cowboys. He's been a very good player coming off of his rookie deal. So the left side of their offensive line is short up. Um, and, and yeah, it, the team's not going to be perfect. They're going to have guys, they're going to have to have guys step up. Uh, and, and maybe they'll end up drafting, you know, a right tackle somewhere in, in the second round because they don't have a first round draft pick now. I just think top to bottom. I mean, Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert in that backfield now. Gesicki Especially Mo- Mostert there. doesn't have to do a ton of work to figure out the, the system. Like, yeah. he's been there. <laughs> and they invested for the last couple of years under Brian Flores on the defensive side of the ball, too. So they have good players on defense. They have good players on offense. And all this is going to come down to, and how good they can be, is how good is Tua. Because Tua right now has the weapons like he had at Alabama. Uh, this is it, though, right? Like, if he can't do it this year, if the skill players can't step up for him this year, this is going to be put on him, and this is it. Like, the, he has one chance. Well, they have two years before they have to give him an extension. They can sign on to the fifth-year option. I, and I'm talking anything, though. Like, trade, no, whatever. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think you give to a one year. If it's really bad next year, then, yeah, maybe you look around, maybe you look in, in the draft and see, hey, can we move up to get one? Because next year's quarterback class is going to be really good. So maybe they end up doing something like that. Um, Or they'll probably try to go out and trade for a veteran who can come in with that roster and be good right away. I personally am am a lot more optimistic about Tua now because he's been far enough removed from the injury. We saw flashes of him looking really good last year. And he had one of the worst offensive lines in football. And, you know, even the the connection with Waddle started to get better as the year progressed, right? And now oh you're going to add in. It was very good at the end of the year. Yeah. And then you're going to add in the safety blanket of Tyreek Hill. I mean, what that's going to open up for Jalen Waddle, because they're still going to be able to throw the ball deep with Tyreek Hill. It's not like they're just not going to do that. But you can use Hill over the middle. But even if you don't want to use him that way and you just want to use him more as that Debo Samuel type guy, you'll have, yeah. you know, Devontae Parker and you'll have Mike Isicki to do those intermediate short over the middle type routes. And then you can have two absolute burners on the outside and Tyree kill and um, Jalen Waddle. So I I'm, yeah. I'm high on this, uh, on this Miami team, obviously the AFC East, you, you have a, a giant in front of you and the Buffalo bills, but immediately they're now the number two team. I would think in the AFC. I think, I AFC think East. this, well, I don't know, Belichick, but <clears throat> I think this year is a gauge year, right? Especially take this all into account. You just made the huge splash trade. Uh, you just signed a new head coach. He's 39 years old. Um, and, and you laid all this out in front of him and say, and Stephen Ross, who I think a lot of this signing too, by the way, and this is a point I heard on, on, on Levitard's show. 
who are Miami guys. So, so they would know better than anyone. I think it's, uh, and it's a good point is that we're, we're realizing the Stephen Ross is 81 years old. Okay. Has failed at, at being a sports owner after being su- super successful in, in his real estate business. Um, and, and since uh, like he's burned literally all the, all the collateral that, that was built up by Marino and, uh, and Don Shula. Uh, and so now we're at a point where he's 81 toward the end of life. No, I, I don't mean to kill the guy, but toward the end of life. And it's like, why not? Let's make this splash so I can have one last chance at, at a good quality of life and, and, and be successful in my, in my well, ownership. Function. And remember this too, Scotty he's going to be under investigation due to the Brian Flores stuff. Right. Right. So they have a lawsuit going that's pending. I don't think Steven Ross is going to be the owner long time and long-term. And I think you're right. I think it's a little bit of a, Hey, fuck it. You know, yeah. you're up, you're up big at a casino. Hey, you know what? Throw 50 bucks on, yeah. on red 42 or whatever. Right. You know, yeah. like, like that's the kind of move. Cause I'm leaving one way like. or the other after yeah. this. Right. Exactly. Right. So you might <laughs> yeah. as well, or, or great example as we're going through right now, March madness. Right. If you're at the end, last game of the weekend, last game of Thursday night, Friday night, you've watched all of these basketball games all day and you just go, fuck it, just put 50 down on on Texas Tech or whatever. You know, like <laughs> not saying I do that. <laughs> not saying I do that, by the way, because I know I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to get any shit. Always gamble responsibly. But I, a lot of people do gamble that way. And, you know, I, I think it's I think it'll pay off. I don't know. I'm, I'm cautiously yeah. optimistic. I'm curious but, to see how the defense performs here because I think that's gonna. Yeah. I think the offense is gonna be able to put up points. But again, too, the 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 other point I had is that that's all laid out in front of of McDaniel in particular, Mike McDaniel, the new head coach, right? And so I think it's kind of you know you have a giant that uh, in the in the Buffalo Bills, and you know you have the Patriots always lurking in the corner there in the AFC East, uh, no matter what. So. I think this is kind of a gauge here, and you've given him the pieces to work with. If you are the seven seed, like that's a massive success to me for the Miami Dolphins this year. Well, they weren't that far Anything away from better it this year. Is, exactly. But, but the AFC like, is has gotten even better yes, here in the in yes. the offseason, which yeah. And that's that's why if you're if you're a playoff, if you make the playoffs this year, that's a massive success. Yeah. And you by doing that, you do two one of two things, or perhaps both. Uh, you you not only instill the confidence in the the fan base you instill the confidence in the new head coach the new gm uh and uh and you uh, make it an attractive destination for free agents so that you build your already team your already good team to be even better yeah absolutely and they're gonna have to hit on some of those you know second third fourth round draft picks you know because they're a little i don't i don't even know if they i think they might have one second round draft pick because they traded a first and second this year that's the thing is they're gonna have to hit on those because of all the capital that they've got no question no question but all in all if you can make a a move that because again like what else are you running for, right? Like, what, what's the point if we're not at least yeah. going to be competitive? They're not in a spot to tank. Mike McDaniel's new as a new head coach, so you know it'll be interesting to see. I am curious. And McDaniel's though, be- got a lot of that too. He's got a lot of that. Send it, you know, and I'm yeah. just like, send well, it. I'm, Let's get. I'm curious though because we've had so many of these young coaches take over jobs, and literally none of them have failed. McShay, Matt Lafleur, Zach Taylor. McShay's an analyst. <laughs> McVeigh has, you know, 
he he's won a Super Bowl already. He's been to two of them and is and he's probably had the most success. But Zach Taylor got to a Super Bowl. Uh, yep. Matt LaFleur has the best record through four seasons as of any or three seasons as any head coach in the history of the NFL. Now, granted, they haven't been able to get over the hump, but it, it's interesting that we've <laughs> saw, we've seen all these young head coaches there. And I wondered, like, one of them has to be bad. One of them has to be Lane Kiffin at some point, right? Right. When Lane Kiffin took over the job for for the Raiders, somebody has to. So is it McDaniel? Is it uh, the I'm blanking on his name, but the guy who just took over in Minnesota, who was on the staff in L.A., who's another young guy? You know, who's going to be that first one that kind of comes up a little short i don't know i don't know um i hope it's not mcdaniel because i like mcdaniel a lot and uh, yeah me be, too man I'm, and i'm, I'm rooting for him. tua i'm rooting for tua because <laughs> people were hating on tua very hard um after he kind of came in and has not yeah. been great and and i think i've said for a while i think people have not appreciated just how difficult of a recovery his his injury was i'll tell you what though all of these moves if you're a fantasy football player you have to be just like pulling your hair out like i have oh, yeah. no idea anymore on analysis we're gonna do before we do like our when we do our fantasy pod which will be probably at some point over the summer we're gonna have to do a whole reset with rookies free agencies and that's how we'll open up that pod because yeah there's just there's way too much um one other nfl thing before we take a break and talk hoops um last night on the tv show the mass singer which a lot of people are familiar with um it was revealed that thingamabob which is the name of his monster character or whatever was uh jordan mylotta the philadelphia eagles starting left tackle and eagles fans had been on this for like a month now like even i was chris long even said on his podcast he's like i'd bet any amount of money right now that that guy is jordan mylotta and i remember him saying that and thinking like jordan mylotta is not a big enough name to go on the mass singer but what I did know about Jordan Mailata when the Eagles drafted him that first year and he was coming from Australia, he was the rugby player, they basically had to teach him how to play football. Mailata, uh, there's a clip from him in the locker room during training camp and, you know, reporters around him and he had his guitar in his you know locker and they asked him to play something and he picked something up and he sang and he just had this just unbelievable singing voice. He was a nice guitar player and it was like, super super impressive so philly fans actually were all like kind of figured this out pretty quick because it was a massive guy and they go through he finished he was one of the finalists i think he finished like third um uh, the the birds fans were a twitter mm-hmm. yes they yes they were scott yes they were um but i encourage everyone to go back watch the performance he did last night he did uh ed sheeran's perfect which was unbelievable was so good it's just dulcet and beautiful it was really, really like ridiculously good. Uh, well, especially while wearing all that crap on it, which I'd imagine would you know weigh a, a ton. Uh, he also the first one he did was "Wanted Dead or Alive," and holy shit, dude! It's one of the best performances of "Dead or Alive" I've ever seen. But it's just done by this giant furry green thing. It was weird. Uh, and then he's, he's not did, a cowboy though. No. Uh, and then he did a uh, uh, another song classic, which was like a pop song from like 2014 that he had done. That was, uh, that was also very good. So if you get a chance, check him at, check out those videos. But I, I texted you guys last night, you and Vito, and I just said, Jordan, my is not my favorite Philadelphia Eagle. Oh, hands um, down. Now yeah. that Kelsey you need a Jersey, it's all yeah, this is going to be Kelsey's last run. So once Kelsey leaves, I'm going to need somebody. I love my man, Dallas Goddard, but I think, I think Jordan, my has, has firmly placed his grasp on me as, as he's my favorite Philadelphia Eagle. And that dude 
He's a monster. Unbelievable on the field and apparently ridiculously talented off the field. Uh, all right. He's like a- Darius on the stage. He slays. <laughs> Any other puns? Anything else? That's, you got? that's it. That's all you got. Uh, that's that's two Eagles puns in, in one day. That's enough for a couple of weeks. It's enough for America, <laughs> I think. Um, all right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back again, catch everybody up. Little refresher as we head into the second weekend of March Madness. And then we will do our predictions for what we think we're going to see this weekend because we got a lot of good stuff coming our way. So hang tight. We'll be back in just a second. Refresh. That's what we're doing right now. I wish we could the eat fresh, eat fresh, refresh. Is that the subway ad right, right now? Eat fresh to uh, be fresh to refresh, something like that. Something yeah. like that, right? And they get like paid like every good athlete ever to be in their commercial. Steph Curry, um, Steph's in it. Tom Brady, Simone Biles, Serena Williams. They've had like literally like Charles Barkley narrating. Bar- yeah, Barkley's doing. Yeah, it's just I, Charles Barkley should narrate everything. Um, but so what we're gonna do here in refreshing ourselves from the bracket we're just going to go back we're going to remind ourselves hey what are some of the you know underdog teams that have made good runs who we think can maybe make a jump to the final four uh we're going to just talk about some of our favorite moments from the first round because there was a bunch of really great stuff that happened in the first round and no question scotty the thing we have to hit on even though it's chalky saint peter's 15 seed in the sweet 16 for the second year in a row it's only the third time in the history of the ncaa that a 15 seed has made it to the third round of the tournament, the Sweet 16. Uh, those yeah, two are two of them in the last three. Yeah. Yeah. Florida Gulf <laughs> Coast. And then we had uh, last year, we had Oral Roberts. And then this year, we have St. Peter's. Uh, they will take on Purdue in the Sweet 16. But I, I was on a podcast um, earlier this week. By the way, wanted to shout him out. My buddy Denton Day had me on. We had a great pod. Uh, awesome dude. He's been a guest on this podcast. So if you're interested in that, the uh, at Denton Day show, um, you can find it all on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. He asked a lot That's about the he asked a lot about the Jeff Gimple story. Actually, we we went through a lot, got some acapella talk. It was fun, but I was on there, and one of the things uh, you know he was asking me like, hey, you know, what do you what what is the most memorable moment from from the March Madness so far? And the thing that stuck out obviously is St. Peter's. It's the one that takes over, and they are like the most quintessential underdog team in March Madness who makes a good run, right? They have the one annoying skinny white kid who just drains threes. They have undersized bigs who just play really hard and above the rim and, and just like, even though they're only like Crappy. six, eight playing yeah. center. Yeah. They're just play strong defense. They foul a lot, you know, but they just find ways to get it done. Uh, they're a really, really fun team. I don't think they've have enough firepower to get past Purdue. Um, they just have Purdue has so I, many weapons, dude. Well, he's uh, got this Edie seven four in the middle. How the hell? Well, like so that's man. the big one, right? Like Zach Edie against the six eight center. Got you know Edie's got almost a foot on the other team's center. It's going to be a lot of that, right? And but Purdue can also <laughs> bury it from three. So I think that's probably going to be a bit of a bloodbath. We get that on Friday night. But before we get into the end of their amazing run, let's just I don't know. Like so you and I sat and watched their second game together on Saturday night. What an electric game. They knock off Kentucky, and now they're, yeah. sitting, they're sitting in a region with three other legitimate, like, top-tier programs in college basketball, two of the probably four top blue bloods in North Carolina and UCLA. Uh, it, it's a special run, man, for this tiny little school in Jersey City. Yeah, and, and I mean, the way they play is just so fun, right? It's it's, And I think Kenny uh, – described it on the uh, on the analysis on on uh, on cbs 
uh, on the panel. It's just like those, those New Jersey, New York kids just get out and, and they go play. Like they, they, they'll run you over. They'll play f- tough. They'll play physical and they'll leave it all out there. And credit to Shaheen Holloway. who's done an amazing job with these guys. Unbelievable. Just, just getting them all to believe in that. And now they're at a, at a point, especially after, after that second round, after the first round win, uh, the second round being like, Hey, why not us? Why, yeah. why can't you guys do this? I've been telling you all year that, that you're tough and physical and, and good basketball players, good enough to beat some of the best teams uh, in, in the country. And they did. And, and here they are in the sweet 16. So well, and the stones, an excellent job. The stones on how they came back against Kentucky. You know, like if the, when that overtime started, Kentucky went down, got a quick basket, and then they got fouled for, they had four foul shots there before uh, St. Peter's even made a bucket and they missed all four of them, right? Like the, the foul shooting from Kentucky in overtime was brutal, but it would have been so easy for a team. We just had this unbelievable comeback and Kentucky tied it. And now we're in overtime. It'd be so easy for Kentucky to to come back and, and steal that game. And yet, St. Peter's just wasn't going to let it happen. They took advantage of every opportunity dug there, but the mustache drilling threes back, you know, and like deep threes too. And just Those right in their onions. <laughs> yeah, dude, right in their freaking eyeball. Like and, it, and it was spectacular. And I don't think you can undervalue. And you said it there, Scotty, what their mentality is as city kids, right. As, as Jersey, New York, Philly, DC area. That's primarily what they're, where their team is kind of made out from, but they're all tough kids who play that like insanely gritty, annoying, you know, but like never quit, never give up style basketball. They're essentially a team full of the kids that you hate playing in like casual pickup games with. Yeah. Cause anyone who's played like pickup games regularly, you always know there's that one kid who just goes so fucking hard when he's guarding you. And it's just annoying. It's like, we're just trying to get a run in dude and put up some shots. Like you don't have to, this isn't the NCAA tournament, but those guys don't typically have that off switch. And I don't think that I, I, I think that's yeah. how this entire team is made up of. Yeah. And, and to, to your point about Kentucky, I'll tell you the difference in that game was, and, and this is the mentality that I can't stand about Kentucky basketball is like when they get there, right. They're, they're God's gift to basketball. And you'll, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're made of anything and you're meant for this program, you'll be here one year and be a superstar in the NBA. And so there's no mentality of like, oh shit, we're down. We've got to dig ourselves out of this hole, especially against a team like St. Peter's. They're sitting there in overtime going like, why the hell are we losing to this instead of figuring out how they can win? Uh, and, and to, to, again, to the credit of the, the, the grit and the Italian Grintosa, that's the, uh, the, the word it's, uh, it's just, it's just like, it's something you dig deep for. It's the, it's the, the, the I, I can't describe it any differently than that, but the grit is the factor is what is what really just made the entire difference in the, in the game. And those guys find a way to seize that moment. And, and, and I think that they're going to bring that same intensity to Purdue uh, in the sweet 16. I think they will too. I don't think it's going to be enough for them to get by. I got to push back on the Kentucky thing. Kentucky doesn't work that way anymore. They, they really don't. They're not, you know, for the first time, it really started about two years ago. The one and done thing when, when Duke got the top three recruits, when they got Cam Reddish and they got Zion, they got RJ Barrett, right? Yeah. When they got those three guys and they were one, two, three recruits, Kentucky 
had started to fall off and had a couple of down seasons and Calipari kind of refreshed. And now they have a, a few more juniors. They attack the transfer portal a little bit more. Um, however, I do think you're right in that when you are a, a, a top blue blood type team, or even just a highly ranked team, a two seed or a three seed, and you catch yourself in one of these situations where it's like, we're losing to them. That I absolutely think is real, but I don't think that's specific to Kentucky. I actually love what John Calipari's done in completely, you know, changing his whole structure, his entire foundation of what the one and done era kind of was for him because it wasn't working anymore. He got one championship. They had the Anthony Davis run. They had obviously the John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins. They had a bunch of really, really good teams. You know, that one year where it was like Jamal Murray and Tyler Eulis and Devin Booker and all those guys were on the same team. That was really the last like era. pure one and done era that they had. Yeah. Hero, I think might've been a couple years after that. Um, but that was really the last time they did it. And it actually reminds me a little bit of what Jay Wright did at Villanova, which, you know, Jay Wright in 2009, they finally broke through, they beat Duke, then they beat Pitt and they found their way into the final four. But after that, Jay Wright started trying to recruit like high-end players, like the top 100 guys list. Whereas yeah, when you it wasn't look, just the, the best kids in Philly, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and, and the, the whole, you know, DMV and New York and stuff, like all the yeah. areas they would go, they were going after top tier recruits, guys who might have a chance to go into the NBA. But if you look at the rosters when they won their two championships, there wasn't a single guy in, on either of those teams that was a top 100 recruit by ESPN. And yet they won two championships in three years running that kind of idea. And Jay Wright has spoke about this before, but it was a very clear moment for him where he was like, I'm not going to be able to recruit this way. We have to recruit Villanova guys. And I think Calipari is more back on that. We got to recruit the right kind of person, not just the, Hey, let's go after the biggest one and done type guys. Like they had been for a long time, which had success, but the one and done era, just everybody copycatted it. And then when other bags are bigger than what Kentucky was giving, you know, guys like Zion, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, they all end up, you know, going to Duke and then Duke ultimately ends up kind of winning that out. Uh, nonetheless, though, St. Peter's awesome run, beat two really good teams, Murray State and Kentucky, both Kentucky teams. So maybe maybe their run will end when they play a team that doesn't isn't based out of Kentucky. Uh, uh, borders, Kentucky, Indiana. <laughs> there you go. Um, they will definitely play hard. They will definitely get after Purdue. But I don't think they're going to have enough to, to you know, move on to the Elite Eight. Um, Next thing here, refreshing from the weekend, there are a few, you know, eight to like, I guess 11 is really the range here where it's not quite the Cinderella um, that all have made really impressive runs and through the first weekend, uh, North Carolina, obviously uh, I had them beating Marquette and then I had them beating Baylor. I have them beating UCLA this weekend as well. I don't know where I was on that one because no, nobody I- was. Nobody One of my was notes there. was that there is no uh, team who won a championship in the previous year. And the five of the last eight teams who have, have won a championship in the previous year have not made it to the Sweet 16. Yeah. I mean, the last back-to-back champion we had was Florida in the Al, Al Horford and Joakim yeah, Noah to the, teams. To the but, Sweet 16, though. No, yeah. I, no I know. I, I, I understood you. Um, yeah. For the most part, returning champions don't do well the next year. It, it, it's an anomaly to even make it to the Sweet 16 to even make it to the elite eight, obviously, and all the way up to the final four. So um, North Carolina made a great run. Uh, the fact that Baylor came back and almost stole that game. I thought for sure when that, again, another one, when it went to overtime, I thought for sure Baylor was going to take it, but 
there was one big three right out of the gates that North Carolina hit, and that kind of set the tone for uh, overtime, and they held on to win. Uh, but we also have Michigan as an 11 seed. They beat uh, Colorado State in the first round, then they beat Tennessee in the second round. We also have Iowa State, which is another one that I had, shouts to me, who beat LSU in round one and then beat Wisconsin in round two. And then we have this plucky Miami team that seems to have come out of nowhere. Uh, really strong guard well, they, play. They right? all came which, out of the transfer portal. That's why well, <laughs> they're all like 26. I just, I just mean like they weren't great. They weren't a great team all year. They were kind of slightly but, below the top there, the top teams in the ACC. Yeah, yeah, man. Like, but that's what he does. Yeah. And they grabbed, a, I mean, their guards, again, experienced veteran guards, guys who've been around for a while. They move the ball. They play good defense. It's They've had good teams in the past, but usually they've been those really long, athletic, jump out of the building type teams. This Miami team's a little bit different. And you could see the one weakness that Auburn had was in the backcourt. And Miami absolutely throttled them and, and did not give them a chance to bring the ball up at all. So of those, what, four teams – which one do you think has uh, – have you been impressed with the most this far, and which one are you most excited to see moving forward? I'm most impressed with – and I think most of it is the story, but I'm most impressed with the Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, uh, what's his name? Koontz, the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Koontz. forward there. Who's, he's just been scoring the lights out of the ball in the first two rounds. Uh, <clears throat> and, and for this team to have won, what did they win, like two games last year? And now they're in the Sweet 16. Uh, what a turnaround. Uh, so I think that's that That to me is the, the biggest story. And I think they match up. Uh, it's actually a really intriguing matchup against um, against Miami in the Sweet 16 here because, you know, we're talking about if they had played uh, if they had played Auburn, for example, I, I don't think there's there's a shot in hell because Auburn's too good at shooting, too good at, at defense for, for a team like Iowa State to, to continue a run like that. But against Miami, I think it's a, a decent shot because – not only is is Coots playing well, uh, Brockington's playing really well, um, going up and down the floor too on 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 both ends of the ball. So I I, I think I think their story in and of itself alone it, it separates them as as the next cool story of the of the tournament. I loved Iowa State, and that's why I had them advancing to the Sweet Sixteen. They went twenty two and twelve this year, and they went seven and eleven in the Big Twelve. But the Big Twelve was a really really good conference yeah. and if you look at the games that they played uh in the big 12 almost every single one of them was a close game was a fought hard-nosed game think about this too a team that finished seventh in the big 12 or sixth in the big 12 went five and seven against top 25 teams they played 13 or 12 games against top 25 teams that is really that's a hard schedule for anybody and they're battle tested they know how to win close games and they proved it against wisconsin I was, I'm with you. I was so impressed by Iowa State. I think it was about maybe a month and a half ago. I was working on ESPNU. I was doing some stuff and we were kind of talking about some of the underdog teams. And uh, Dusty Dvorak, of all people, said, Hey, have you checked out Iowa State? And I said, I haven't. And I went through and I kind of went back. And I was at that point, they had an even better record. They were still single digit losses. Uh, and I just went, How is this team? How is nobody talking about this team? I get it. They're not yeah. Texas Tech, they're not Baylor, they're not Kansas. But how is nobody talking about Iowa State? Because you know, Iowa State had the same win-loss record as Texas this year. And Texas was a six seed, right? Yeah. The only difference is Texas went 10 and 8 in the conference. Iowa State went 7 and 11. And their their non-conference was probably a little tougher than Texas was. Uh, but still, I look yeah, I don't know what the schedules were plus I don't have games, in front of me, but yeah. To win 20 plus games in, in college basketball is hard enough. 
Yeah. And, yeah. and playing in that while playing in that conference, nonetheless. Yeah. Right. Like they had a better record than TCU. Everyone was so high on TCU. Everyone thought TCU was a team that could make a run if they could get past the second round. They obviously didn't. But uh, Iowa State, I actually thought Barely their dra- I actually thought Barely. their draw was perfect, though. I thought their draw was was perfect for them. You know, being able to win win the first round, uh, which I'm trying to remember who I have the bracket up here. Who did they beat in the first? They LSU, beat USC. right? So they, oh, they LSU, beat LSU sorry. in the first round. LSU had. Uh, just fired a head coach, (laughs) right? That team was in complete disarray, super disappointing performance in the, uh, in the sec tournament. So that's why I kind of liked them over LSU. And then second round, you're going to get Wisconsin more likely and Wisconsin's a good team, but they're kind of, they have Brad Davidson, who's, you know, good veteran point guard can run an offense. And then it's Johnny Davis. And if you stop Johnny Davis, you kind of stop Wisconsin and it ended up being a great matchup. And that game was a little back and forth, but Iowa State was able to hold on and, and pull off the win. Um, I, I think all these teams you have to give credit to. The one that's still, you know, Michigan, a lot of credit to Michigan, everyone doubting them, all the crap with Juwan Howard and Greg Guard and all that stuff, right? And the P, how about the PR bump he got from hugging the kid from Tennessee? After oh, he knew where the there? cameras were. He knew well, where the cameras were. Did you know that his <laughs> Juwan Howard's son played with that kid? And he had been oh, like a not, high, no. he had been like a high school assistant coach. So it wasn't like, oh, like Coach K hugging a random kid on Wofford or some shit. No, no, this was like Juwan Howard actually had a really good relationship with this guy, and it, it meant a lot to him. Like he clearly won, and so huge PR bump in the handshake line department there for yeah, Juwan Howard. But Hunter Dickinson <laughs> has been awesome. His little floaters, little touch inside moves are great. He's he's, he's, he's a, a tough great matchup. Prospect, dude. He's great. He's a little like Luca Garza, right? Like he's really good yeah, in the post. Little. He doesn't shoot it as well as Luca Garza does, but he can shoot the three okay for his size. I think he's going to be too slow to play in the NBA. You know, Luca yeah. Garza has been able to hang on the Detroit Pistons roster this year. So like, you know, good for him. He'll probably be a second round pick, but I don't think he's big enough. Uh, Cause he's what, probably about 6'10", 6'11". Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think he's quite big enough where you look at like someone like Zach Eady, who is seven foot three, seven foot four. He may not be the fastest in the world, but at least he has the height and length that he could protect the rim in the NBA. Uh, I don't think Hunter Dickinson is going to be able to do that, but he will get a chance to sniff the NBA. No question. Um, and, and look, Michigan, they've showed a lot in that game because Tennessee had a really big comeback. Tennessee came back, took the lead. Michigan had to fight to hang on and eventually Michigan held on to win that game. Uh, the Auburn Miami game. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch that one. It, I think it was on Sunday. Uh, but from everything I heard going back and watching it as well, Miami just kind of ran them off the floor. Like yeah. they just, they just yeah. bullied them up front. And the big thing for them was Jabari Smith. Who's really good chance. He's the number one overall pick in the NBA draft this year. Jabari Smith had an awful game. His yep. worst game in college came at the worst time. He was absolutely cold from the floor, had trouble getting to the rim and an, an experienced point guard with a good head coach and a couple pros on it in Miami, which I, Miami might have one pro, but probably, probably not. But that's a team that again, Auburn where their weakness is their backcourt. You just get bullied off the floor and they did. I mean, they lost by 18. So Miami deserves a ton of credit though. Again, they barely snuck by USC in the first round. The team for me is North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina is terrible on defense still. That has not changed. But they can score as well as anybody in the league. And that we, whole con- – yeah. like that game should have never been as close as it was if the kid was Matt Mathis, 
Matt Mattis, wherever the kid who threw the elbow was, oh, the beard. Yeah, um, the mullet guy. <laughs> yeah, the guy with the big orange beard. No, the red beard. Yeah, that's yeah, the guy. big orange beard. He <laughs> threw an elbow. Um, I, I didn't think it was intentional. Other people thought it was. He gets kicked out of the game. Uh, that was the only reason why Baylor came back from 25 points down. They were cooking offensively, and I think they're going to be able to do that again. UCLA is banged up. Johnny Juzang right now is is TBD for their game tonight. Uh, I am. Oh, he's I, playing. <laughs> I thought. I thought my thought process in having this run was this is going to be the start of the Hubert Davis era, right? This closes the chat. This closes the book officially on Roy Williams. The ties Who are fully severed. Yeah, game. which which is amazing, right? Because he helped recruit all those kids too. Um, another reason to love Roy Williams, but. This is officially like the Hubert Davis. All right, we're here. And North Carolina is another one of those teams where I didn't understand. Uh, Posner, who's the head coach of Georgia Tech, had said, if you don't have them as a top five team or top 10 team in college basketball, you're kidding yourself. And that was the light bulb moment for me. They went 26 and nine this year, 26 and nine. And And yet we were talking in their last 10 heading into the, the conference tournament. They were a single digit loss team. They went 15 yeah. and five in the conference. And, like, it, and I get the conference wasn't me. great this year, but North Carolina, the ACC, team. it's still good, dude. Like, uh, no, like to me, and this happens all the time. We saw it last year with a blue blood team. Who's better than what their record shows uh, is, is a six seed or lower. And, and they make a good run. UNC is not an eight, an eight seed. They're never an eight seed ever. Right. So why would we think or have any reason to think that they wouldn't play at, at that level? We did the same thing with UCLA last year, an 11 seed. Ah, shit. They're going to, they're not good enough to win in the first four. Uh, guess what? They're in the final four as an 11 seed. So uh, look, we do this, we do this kind of crap all the time. And it's just over. And this is what I hate about doing brackets every year is I overanalyze everything. And <laughs> it just gets to a point where it's like, dude, it's North Carolina. Like you really think they're not getting good basketball players. You right. just got to grab – you just got to pick a couple of teams that you like. That, that's really yeah. what it comes down to. A couple of teams – like for me, UNC and Iowa State were two kind of underdog teams that I thought had a really legitimate shot of getting but to that, the Sweet 16. And so I just rode them on it, you know? Based and the on other, their and then seed, the other, though, like I'm saying, North Carolina to me wasn't an underdog. Against right? Baylor they were. They're, okay. But for the seed, yes. Like they're, they're not an underdog because an eight seed – UNC does not make sense. It does not compute, right? I mean, and so they're sure, going to play higher, like, higher than the level that they're seated at because yes. they were better than that. All the rest of it, or they, they do, and they also were. They kind of fell victim to everybody thinking that the ACC was was garbage, right? Everyone thought the ACC was terrible, and in reality, the ACC was not as bad as other people said. In fact, I'm trying to pull up this tweet here from David Hale. Um, that I, I'm, I, I'm not able to find it, but basically it was the amount of teams over the last couple of years from the big 10 versus the ACC, how many teams they got in versus how many teams they, that got to the, uh, the sweet 16. And the last, like last year, I think it was like nine teams from the big 10 got in and only, and then uh, this year it was like eight and like three teams combined got to the sweet 16. And then it's last pathetic. Week, yeah, like it, it's crazy. I saw that, a graphic that was like the last champion from the big 10 was michigan state 2000 yeah that was the last 2000. time they haven't won they haven't won since there was um, good no, as no team in the big 10 22 well, years without a champion that's ridiculous well and that's why people 
have always kind of like they don't like to trust Big Ten teams in the tournament. They just it's it's not what they it's not their thing. I don't know why I can't find this stat because it's really pissing me off now. Um, but I mean the big it's not that the Big Ten is a bad conference by any means. They're they're obviously not great um, regular season conference. But they're a great regular season conference. Exactly. <laughs> Same with football. Great regular season conference. Terrible bowl schedule team. Well, at least you know you have Ohio State to win a couple of big games for you, since no one else in your in your conference. Hey, you'll will. say that. Oh, I, I will say that. I'll say it once. I'll say it twice. I'll say it three times too. Oh, I can't wait for college football. Yeah, right. And that's that's this, this thing. We can talk <laughs> about how much we love all this, and we obviously do. But we also just can't wait for uh, for, for football season to come back. All right. I guess I'm not going to find find this and it's really driving me nuts, but maybe I'll be able to find it later and tweet it out. Cause it, it, it's just a fascinating stat and that the ACC, even though as a conference, they may not be as good. They are able to make good runs uh, in, in the postseason because they have really, really good coaches. You know, they have a bunch of really good stuff. So I, I'm a fan uh, of the ACC and I just love this UNC team. I just, I know they don't play any defense and at some point that's going to cost them, but I think they have a really good chance here beating UCLA tonight and, and uh, moving on. Uh, up next, which of the one seeds remaining, and you can throw in the one or two seeds, we'll say one or two seeds remaining, uh, impressed you the most over the weekend, over last weekend, the first you know two rounds of the tournament? Which is the top one or two seed that, you, that really jumped off the screen for you? Uh, I, think, I think it was uh, – so I'll do both. I'll do a one and a two seed. How about that? I'll do the one seed that impressed me the most uh, was probably Arizona with their resilience. Uh, mm. Despite being letting TCU back into the game, that game was always close. Uh, but, you know, they, they had a point where they were up, I think it was like seven or nine, and they could have just put it away in the, in the I almost said fourth quarter, second half. Um, and, and they didn't and let TCU get back into the game. TCU is a good basketball team, man. I don't know what to tell you. They played Kansas twice or three times in the last like two weeks of the season. Uh, so, so they were well seasoned uh, and, and they played an Arizona team who I think is probably one of the most, if not the most talented team uh, top to bottom in this tournament. Uh, so I think Arizona with the, with the resilience to survive in advance is the, uh, is the best uh, one seed. And uh, I'm going to stick in the same region with my best two seed. That's Villanova, man. Just shooting yeah. the lights out of the ball uh, and, and looking like, you know, just as dominant as they as they could be. This is the most dominant uh, team I've ever seen out of Villanova and Jay Wright. I mean, they on both. No, 2018, court. dude. 2018, they ran through that bracket. It was the most convincing national championship yeah. run I've ever seen. 2018, yeah. they were an absolute fucking wagon with Jalen Brunson and stuff and that team. Yeah. No, the 2018 team was 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 better. And the way this is fought, I I can't I hope this happens. I hope to God this happens. I would love that matchup would be phenomenal. Arizona What's, and Villanova. Oh, in the Elite in the, Eight. In the Elite Eight. Yeah. I, I, I want that to happen so bad. No, I'm I'm with you. And I think there's a good chance that it happens. I mean, Villanova has to beat michigan and arizona has to beat houston i think arizona is going to have a tougher time with houston uh but i again i love what you said about arizona and how just gritty they are because i mean that team just got fucking stones man like they're yeah. just not afraid of anything and tommy oh, they Lloyd, can take some haymakers yeah yeah and tommy and Lloyd right back up. awesome tommy Lloyd's awesome and i'd say the same thing about villanova like ohio state crept back in that game got it to like a four-point game and my mom texted me because i was i was driving because I was me and my roommate when I did some stuff on Sunday 
but I was in the car and I wasn't able to watch the game. And my mom said, Hey, does Nova hang on here? And then we stopped and went inside of a bar and we're watching the, you know, the end of that game. And by the time we saw the game up, Nova was back up 10. And I was like, what happened? I'm like, why did my mom think this was close? And it's because the second that Ohio state got it even remotely within fire range, I think it was like four or five points. Villanova just completely took over and banged like three threes in a row. And all of a sudden it was back up to like a 12 point lead. Yeah. And, and that, that's what, that's what they do. <laughs> and that, that small ball swing offense where they just, they're so good at just getting the ball around the perimeter, moving it until somebody gets an open look. And then they're all like 40% shooters from three. Now you're taking a gamble, right? Cause they have to be able to make those shots, but we've seen in years past from Villanova that all of their guys because so many of their guys can shoot 40% from three, like four out of their five starters shoot 40% from three, there's always going to be somebody who gets an open look that's a really high percentage shot. Yeah. And, and I think and, over and you time – You don't need – you can live with a game that Gillespie's shooting under that, yeah. right? But even still, he's the one guy that Nick never does, knock on wood. Gillespie – I don't know how you feel. Gillespie might be the most impactful player in this entire tournament. I, I agree. Like the, the absolute command and wizardry he has running that offense, it's, it's unlike anything else that any other team has. You can say Drew Timmy, you can say Chet Holmgren, but both of them were only okay against Memphis and they, Gonzaga barely squeaked by. You can say Bonchero or how you say his name, Boncaro from uh, Duke, right? But even still, again, another guy didn't have a great game against Michigan State and needed to get bailed out by his teammates. I don't think there's a single player left in this tournament who is as important and as effective and impactful as Colin Gillespie, because when he just wants to start pulling up threes, they just, they drop. And yeah. I, I never thought of him as an NBA guy, but I also said the same thing about Archie Diacono and he's still kicking around the NBA after four or five years said, said the same thing about. Uh, Archie Diacono's brother's playing at Villanova now too. Yeah. Right. He shut out in the Chamonix. That's where he, uh, that's where he went to high school. Um, but yeah, man, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a, obviously I'm a Villanova fan, right? Like I grew up a Villanova fan. I'm a diehard Villanova fan, but I just, I, and so I'm trying not to be biased, but I just don't see a team where it's like this one player drives everything else around it. And he's also the most reliable and confident player on the team. Uh, I just, I don't think there's another guy left here that, that has that. As for the one seeds though, I don't feel great really about any of them. I mean, Arizona, like, yeah, they ended up showing the resilience, but they were still almost lost to TCU. So you can't guarantee that they're going to, you know, beat anybody. They're not blowing teams out necessarily. Kansas has the easiest path. Kansas right? has the easiest path, but they also have to play a Providence team this week uh, or tonight. And Providence is going to be a problem for them. Uh, I'm sorry, tomorrow they play. Uh, but, you know, they blow the doors off Texas Southern, but then Creighton gave them a game too. They only won that game by nine. Yeah. You know, and and so and obviously we saw Baylor lose. Gonzaga only wins by four and was down for a good part of the game. Gonzaga was tied uh, or losing at halftime against Georgia State. So, like, I don't feel great about any of the one seeds. I feel the best about Arizona. But if Kansas is able to get by Providence and then you're either going to have Iowa State or Miami there in the Elite Eight, no question they have the easiest path. But I think I said on Denton's pod when I went on earlier in the week, my pick is going to be whoever comes out of the South region, whether that's Arizona or Villanova. And hell, throw fucking Houston in the mix because Houston could come in there tonight and upset Arizona, and that wouldn't surprise me either. Um, what if it's Michigan? I, it wouldn't shock me. Like, that's a thing. Like, 
Michigan's got a good team with experience. They were a one seed. Was it last year? Right. Wasn't Michigan a one seed last year? Uh, no, I think they were a three last year. I, th- I, I think four. they were a one seed last year. I, I could be wrong. Um, but I, I think Michigan was a one seed last year. Uh, nonetheless, you know, I, Michigan can make that run because Dickinson is that good and he is a mismatch for everyone else here in, in the rest of the tournament that I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, all right. Any other thoughts, takeaways? I mean, Duke obviously has looked pretty good through two games. They have a really tough test against Texas tech. I think that's going to be a fantastic game. I'm really excited for that one tonight, nine 40 Eastern. Um, I think other than that, I think we've pretty much hit every team. So uh, Providence is the only one we didn't talk a whole lot about, but I look, I love Ed Cooley. I love that Providence team. They know how to win close games, uh, but they also got very lucky in that they had South Dakota state in the first round. And then they got Richmond in round two and they beat Richmond by a very, uh, very modest 28 points. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back. We're going to preview the rest of the sweet 16, what we think is going to happen to finish out. And then we'll get you on your way to more madness. And by the way, we know that we're recording this on a Thursday. And so all these games have already happened. So you get a little bit of that, you know, like Monday night football, how we would record on Mondays before Monday night football. And then you guys could always laugh at us at how wrong we we were. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And there's no better time to do that or no better thing to do that for than March Madness. So quick break. We'll be right back. Wrap up the pod on the other side. All right. Time to look ahead to what we will have. We're going to start off with the games that are going to be played on Thursday, which is tonight for us. We'll have been last night for you guys. So this is your opportunity once again to laugh at us for being very, very dumb. Uh, In the West bracket, we have Gonzaga and Arkansas. And uh, we also have Texas Tech and Duke. I think both of these have a chance to be spectacular basketball games. I love Arkansas. I've been on the must bus for a while. Um, I'm going to pull up my bracket because I think, I think I have the must bus winning tonight over Gonzaga. I got to pull up my, oh yeah, 99.7th percentile bracket. Oh, oh God. God. Oh God. Oh, I completely, completely forgot, man. Oh, oh, oh man. That's embarrassing. I'm sorry. That guys. is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yes, yeah, so I have Arkansas winning tonight, and then I have I got all four of these right by the way. Uh, Arkansas winning tonight, and then I have Texas Tech winning tonight, and I'm gonna ride with that. Um, as we sit here right now, Gonzaga hasn't looked great. Uh, Drew Timmy, I think, is just so not only annoying but also so underrated, or sorry, overrated. Uh, he's plenty rated. I, I just don't get. The love for him. I, he, he's very technical. He's got awesome footwork. In the 1970s and 80s, playing with Larry Bird and Kevin McHale, he probably would have been an awesome player. Oh, he can shoot. Can open. you imagine the pick and roll videos that would have existed? He would have had the same shitty mustache, too, but at least it actually would have made sense <laughs> in that era. So did um, Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah, but Larry, yeah, Larry Bird had that pencil thin blonde mustache forever. Drew Timmy would still have the stupid handlebars and look like an idiot. Oh, actually, no, he would have done the opposite of whatever was cool during that time. So he probably would have had like a bald head and zero facial hair or something. Um, sorry, just kids. They're just kids, as Big Cat always says, they're just kids. But also, Drew Timmy, go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> so, I, but Chet Holmgren is also the big key here for me, right? He's a guy who potentially is the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. He's one of the most fascinating prospects we've had coming in out of the NCAA, but also going into um, the draft that we've really seen in in a long time. He's a little bit of that Porzingis, a little bit of that. He's not quite KD because he's not, not as explosive, but 
we see him do ball handling stuff that KD did when he was at Texas. So, you know, maybe he could be great. He was not good against Memphis. Now, Arkansas is going to attack you with their guards. The bigs are going to be problematic. So I'm curious as, hey, are you going to pull some double teams on Chet, right? Go ahead, get those hands swatting at him. Try to make him turn the ball over a couple times because I don't think you're going to be able to play just straight up man-to-man against him. Uh, And then for the must bus is going to have to knock down threes. But I think, you know, Corey Kispert was such a vital part of that Gonzaga team last year. And obviously Jalen Suggs is even more vital. You know, they don't really have either of those guys there. They have a couple of guys who who have been good, who have filled in. But Corey Kispert is like a legit 45% three-point shooter in college, 40% shooter in the NBA. Uh, Jalen Suggs, top five draft pick. He's struggled a little bit in his rookie year, but I mean, that half court shot against UCLA, he's a floor general. He's aggressive. He's like a perfect player for what Gonzaga needed. They don't, the, the, those two spots have not been filled nearly as well as, as they had before that Gonzaga team didn't lose to San Francisco. That Gonzaga team didn't lose to St. Mary's. This team does, you know, and it's not to say that Gonzaga is not, doesn't have a good chance to win this game. I think they're probably favored, but I like Arkansas and riding the bus bus still. Yeah. Oh, that's no, way I'm too much. You. That's way too much. Yeah. Hammer Arkansas. Way, way, way Hammer too much. Hammer Arkansas. Yeah. I would absolutely agree. Uh, plus three sixty on the money line is Arkansas too, and uh, I would uh, I Hammer would take both. that if, Hammer if both. I'm doing the same game. Uh, dude, look, JD Note like unbelievable what what he can do in scoring. I think you absolutely nailed it. If he can get going and scoring, I think the length of Arkansas is going to be a problem for Gonzaga because that was the problem that they had with Georgia State for. Uh, even as a 16 seed, Georgia State had a lot of length and a lot of guys who could shoot the ball. It was also and, and, a problem they had last year against Baylor, right? Yeah, because yeah. it's the, it's not just the length at the forwards and the bigs; it's the length at the guard position. It's Davion Mitchell, and yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and it's that aggressive nat kind of just fly. We're just going to fly around. We're just going to bother you. We're just going to get in your face. Arkansas's got that chip on their shoulder. Anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and especially after their run last year. Uh, that that ended up short uh, in a similar spot too, I think. By the way, uh, so I, I'm I'm with you. I'm going to ride the must bus with you, buddy. Is there room uh, for one more? No, because that means we're, they're going to lose now. All right, go Zags. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We got as many people on the must bus as want to hop on. We got. Uh, we'll take. All right, Duke and Texas Tech might be Coach K's last game ever. Um, <laughs> I can't even claim this is my own take because Big Cat's been saying it for weeks now, um, but. This would be a lot of this game is going to come down to how it gets officiated as annoying as that might sound. A lot Mm. of this game is going to come down to how it gets officiated. Uh, Stanford Steve made a good point that this, this game reminds him of when Duke lost to Villanova that in that 2009 year when Uh Villanova kind of broke through this Texas tech team all year. And I've been saying it for the last couple months has had this massive chip on their shoulder, this fuck you to Chris beard for leaving, you know, and, and going to Texas I think Texas Tech is out here on a mission. I think their defense is going to be too much for Duke. And I think this is the end of the Coach K era at Duke, which means Duke's probably going to win. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, all, the, all those points are, are great about their defense. I mean, they played tough. I mean, Mark is it Mark Andrews? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not the tight end for the Ravens, but the, uh, the <laughs> interim head coach for the, uh, the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Uh, they've they've played well all tournament and have dominated all tournament and, mm-hmm. and and I think they've played that way that they have that chip on their shoulder. I just think after the game that they played that Duke played against Michigan State, with two of the best minds going at it, 
two of the best schemes going at it, uh, mano a mano. And, and for Duke to, to have come out on the other side, especially that score was deceiving in that game, by the way. Michigan State played a lot better than the end of the game. Absolutely. Uh, and the final score will represent. But I think Duke, having come through that and onto the other side here, is kind of like, all right, we've seen where our weaknesses are. We know where to fix stuff. Uh, and, and we know what our clear mission is because there's after this game, there's two left. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Three, well, three, three. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I think it's Duke, man. I, I'm going to fade it because Texas tech is favored in, in just about everything. Are they uh, really one point? They're one point favorite on the line. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're minus minus one fifteen on the money line to Duke's minus one Oh five. Uh, I'm going to fade it, man. Hmm. I'm going to fade it. All the BPI indexes say Texas Tech wins this game. I'm going to do. Yeah. Coach I, K I, stays alive for one more day. The one fear I have, and, and Duke obviously was able to come back in the tight game against Michigan State after Michigan State came back and took the lead on them. But other than that, Duke has not had to play many tight games this year. The last really big one before the game against Michigan State was – the game against Gonzaga in the very beginning of the year when they came down and hit the shot. Yeah. And, and that was a long time ago. Um, again, I think officiating will play a part in this as much as I hate to say that, but I also think Duke's weaknesses have been teams that have been able to put up a lot of points. Texas tech isn't one of those teams. So if Duke gets hot, I think Duke could run away with this comfortably. So sprinkling a little bit on the money line there, that's, that's pretty good value. I, I would take that. Um, uh, all right. Duke UNC final four. That would be fun. That would be fun. Um, All right, let's move over to the South region. The other games that will be on Thursday night, we have Houston taking on the number one seed, Arizona. Uh, Houston has looked as good as they have in a while. They looked awesome in that Illinois game. Well, so last year they were awesome in the regular season. They got all the way to the final four. And, you know, they came up a little bit short against, I think, uh, who did they, was it, yeah, they played Gonzaga, right? Because Gonzaga. Um, UCLA, no, no, UCLA played Gonzaga, so they played Baylor. Um, and those were two very similar styles going at it. Houston, again, looked fantastic against Illinois, uh, who, you know, Illinois is a good team, not a great team, but they definitely, you know, they beat them by 15, right? Like, they, they handled Illinois comfortably. Arizona is going to be a problem for them only because of their size. The size of Arizona, the athleticism, both teams have that gritty, not afraid to punch you in the mouth kind of mentality. I love Calvin Sampson. I love what Tommy Lloyd's done in his first year at Arizona coming from Gonzaga. Uh, I think this has a chance to be a knockdown drag out type of fight, but I I'm riding with Arizona. I had them as my pick to win the national championship starting off uh, last week when we were filling out our brackets. I'm going to stay with it again now. Give me uh, Arizona, the Wildcats, moving on to the Elite Eight. Yeah, I just think it's going to be too much for for Houston. Um, I really do. They're they're a great team. Um, they played great all year, um, but Arizona just has the toughness and and the length that that it, it's tough to beat. And then again, what I what I talked about uh, a little earlier was the resilience of that team to to come down, come back from behind or uh, not from behind, but, but stay in the game with a, with a tough team in TCU. Uh, and then the resilience in overtime to just take over the game and be like, no, we're a better team. Let's do this. Like nose to the grindstone. Uh, and I think that this game's going to be a lot like that. I think it's going to be very close. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I like Arizona to, to win the close game. All right. 
Uh, now we have Villanova and Michigan. We talked a little bit about that matchup there in the last segment, but to kind of recap and, and touch on that, I just think Villanova, again, they're so well-oiled. The coaching matchup, you got to give the check to Jay Wright. The guard matchup, you got to give the check to Villanova. Best player in the overall game, Gillespie or Dickinson, I'm taking Gillespie. Uh, and, and I think just Villanova is going to be able to travel. Their style is going to be able to travel well. You know, I, I think they, they've, they're they so experienced in this spot. Their leader has already won a national championship and been an important piece to a national championship team in Colin Gillespie. Uh, I just, I like Villanova. I think the shooting's going to be too much. I think they're going to get tired. I think Hunter Dickinson's going to get run off the floor. He's going to get a little sloppy, have a couple fouls. And Villanova, <clears throat> Villanova as this well-oiled machine, is going to continue the run. I think they make it to the Elite Eight as well. Yeah, I think the the toughness of Michigan is going to be a problem uh, for, for Villanova, but that's the only weakness, right? I mean, I think uh, Villanova's got – too much length. They're too good with, with the ball. They're too good off the ball uh, on offense. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they're, they're just a bunch of animals. Uh, so yeah, I, I like, I like Villanova here too. And I don't think this one, they're a swarming close. defense. They're a swarming yeah. defense. Um, all right. And so that leaves us with the Friday night games, which are not as good as Thursday nights, but uh, still going to be fun, obviously to watch North Carolina, UCLA, uh, UCLA banged up right now. Neither one of these teams are great defensively. Um, UCLA is a little bit better. Mick Cronin's a great in-game coach. Uh, but Hubert Davis has gotten these guys rolling. I mean, 95 points in the first game against Marquette, 93 on Baylor. 93 points against Baylor. I would love to go back and see how many teams in the last two years have put up 90 or more points against Baylor. Because I'm telling you, it's not a big list. I, I, they might be the only ones. Uh, North Carolina is a really, really good offensive team. And if Johnny Juzang isn't 100% or doesn't end up playing, that's a huge miss for them. You know, obviously they have, oh, yeah, they have Tommy Hawkes still. They have Tiger Campbell. Um, but we've talked about this before. It's hard getting back to the Final Four in back-to-back -back years. And I think that's the case with Houston. I think it's going to be the same case with UCLA. Even though UCLA has been a good team this year, UNC is getting their guy back who got thrown out. I, the big beard, we'll just call him the big ginger beard. He looks like Gritty. <laughs> so North Carolina is getting gritty back. And, uh, and I think they take down UCLA scoring just a shitload of points. Yeah. No, I, I mean, UCLA is too good of a team, man. Uh, I, I think, I think this is where the run ends for North Carolina. I do, because if mm. they have those three guys in, in, in Hawkes and, and Tyler Campbell and, uh, or Tiger Campbell rather. And, uh, and uh, Johnny Juzang, I, I think this team uh, is poised to make a run. And, and look, the path has been cleared for them. Uh, and, and now they just got to go take care of business twice to get into the final four again. Uh, and I don't think that UNC as good as, and as hot as they were at the, at the end of the season, um, a, a lot of times that, that magic tends to fade away in the tournament. Uh, but, you know, and, and for as good as North Carolina was shooting the ball against Baylor, uh, I just I don't know if they if they can come out and, and do they've been able to put up points all year though like it's not even like recent like they've just been an offense all offense no defense type team yeah you know and UCLA's which is, UCLA to their credit has been a top four team for a good chunk of this year so I'm gonna take uh, as much Bruins. as it pains me to take an LA team I'm gonna take the Bruins all right uh, and then we have the Cinderella St. Peter's 
and Purdue, uh, the train ends here. I, they're not going to be able to have anybody defending um, Zach Eady. It's just too much size, and Purdue can also drain it from three. So they're going to be able to play a little inside out. And they play and, good defense. And yeah. defensively, that's the thing, too, is I don't even know, unless – unless St. Peter's is able to get him in foul trouble early by taking it right at him, right at the rim, which maybe they end up doing, um, they're not going to be able to get to the rim and they're going to be entirely dependent on shooting threes. I also, you have to factor in these guys are now like worldwide celebrities, you know, at least nationwide celebrities, you know, they went from being a school that nobody could tell you where it was. We didn't even know the fucking name of the school to now their front page you know doug Edie has got a a, a scholarship with uh, or not Edie, doug whatever the hell his last name is uh got an nil deal with buffalo wild wings you know like it's just a little taste and and i think it's easy to get distracted um but I, you know i i think they're still going to come out and fight hard i just think purdue's gonna be too much you know what purdue does every year what's that in the tournament they peacock it they think they're the best in the world. Uh, they make this run all the time. And then every single year, they let the entire Big Ten and the world down with a game that they get overmatched and outperformed by a tougher team. And that is St. Peter's. They are moving on to the Elite Eight. Wow. I, you know what? I hope you're right. I really, really, really hope you're right. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Um, all right. Well, we got one more bracket or region here before we're going to pick who we think will be in the final four, uh, Kansas taking on Providence. Uh, this is going to be, again, the toughest test. And the only thing you think about Kansas here is, Hey, do they kind of look ahead a little bit, but I just think Kansas has been the really, really great team in college basketball that no one's talked about all year. And I like Providence, but Providence has had a bunch of streaks where it's like, Hey, they win tight games or they kind of get blown out a little bit in their couple of losses. I like Providence uh, and Ed Cooley is going to have them ready to go. I think this will be the game of the night on Friday night, but I'm going to take Kansas to move on. Cause I think Kansas is a really, really good team. Yeah. I, I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I mean, Providence is really good, but you're right. Kansas has just played so well all year. Uh, I, I think Bill self has done enough of this, you know, getting to, uh, get into the tournament as a one or a two or a three and they get swaggy. And then they, they, uh, they, they look ahead to, Oh, well, our region's easy. We're going to be in a final four. No, these guys are locked in, man. Uh, and, and I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's going to be Kansas coming out of the region, let alone winning this game. Awesome. And then we got Iowa state and Miami, uh, a matchup just, that nobody had. <laughs> I'm just going to keep riding with Iowa state. I think Miami's probably the smarter pick. Um, but I'm just going to keep riding with Iowa State. I think they're more battle-tested. Like I said, they've played 12 top 25 teams this year. They played in a much more difficult conference. Miami, yes, awesome win against Auburn, but that team was a really good matchup for them. Iowa State plays really good defense. They're a sound team top to bottom. I think they'll be able to you know, score enough. And so I'm going to take Iowa State here to beat Miami and move on to the Elite Eight. I'm taking the experience. I mean, the story is great with Iowa State. Uh, I, I, you know, I touched on that earlier, but I'm taking the experience uh, and, and not only the experience and players that, uh, that Miami has uh, on their roster and the, and the great guards that they have, but, uh, but with uh, Larry Nega too, I, I mean, that, that guy's a winner and a consummate winner. And, and I think he, he coaches these guys up to, enough to beat uh, 11 seeded uh, uh, Iowa state. All right. So we're going to just do our final four here and then we'll see what the actual final four ends up being on 
uh, by Monday's po- or when we record on Monday. Um, I had two of my four teams are still left. I had Arkansas in and I had Arizona in. So I'm going to take both of those. I think Arkansas is able to beat Texas Tech kind of at their own game because they're better offensively, but I think they're just as good defensively. Uh, Arizona, Villanova, I, I think that's going to be the end because Arizona's got the size and the athleticism that you know Michigan doesn't have. Michigan just kind of has the size, and that's going to be tough for them to chase them around. I think Arizona's going to be able to do that. So I'm going to have Arkansas and Arizona coming in from the top half of the bracket. And then in the bottom half of the bracket, Uh, I have North Carolina taking on Purdue, and I think Purdue gets to the final four. I I think the height of Zach Eady, um, you know, that it's going to make a difference. Uh, And again, the other thing with Purdue is that Purdue can score just as well as North Carolina, but they can score in a bunch of different ways. So I think that game will just be flamethrower, shootout, whoever's making more threes that day. Um, And then if you're not, who, who is a better backup plan? The better backup plan, no question, is Purdue. Uh, you know, Purdue was playing really well, got all the way to the Big Ten championship and lost. I think they're on a mission. And I think Purdue makes their way to the final four. And in the last bracket, I have Iowa State taking on Kansas. And I think Kansas wins that one easily, leaving me with the final four of Arkansas, Arizona, Purdue, and Kansas. This is our second chance bracket here. The, uh, I don't need the second chance bracket, but yeah, I mean, you if you want yeah. to do it, you know. Yeah, so uh, so I've got uh, what Arkansas and Duke in the uh, in the Elite Eight. I think Duke, by the time they get there, uh, is just going to be on an absolute mission. Uh, and, and I don't think, even as good as, as Arkansas's team is, I don't think it's going to be uh, particularly uh, competitive at that point. It's going to be Duke in the uh, in the Final Four for me. Then I've got UCLA and St. Peter's. I think this is where the dream end runs. As scrappy as that team has been, and the and the teams that they have beaten. I, I don't think they have enough to get past the big three on UCLA squad. UCLA back in the final four uh, out of the East. And uh, on the other side of the bracket, I've got uh, Arizona and Villanova. I think this is going to be an absolute knockdown drag out game. Uh, one for the ages, really, uh, as we as we roll into, <laughs> into Masters weekend, too. Uh, I like Villanova here. I, I think Villanova can shoot the ball well enough to beat Arizona. Uh, and and compete with the athleticism that the, that Arizona has as well. So give me Villanova out of the uh, out of the South, and then in the Midwest, Kansas taking on Miami. I think this is where <laughs> where you see Bill Self kind of turn that on and be like, uh, "Look, uh, we're clearly the best team in this bracket. We're one seed for a reason." Uh, uh, and, and Miami, for uh, as cool as this run has been, as and, and as experienced as they are. Uh, I don't think they have enough firepower to beat Kansas. So I've got uh, Duke, UCLA, Villanova, and Kansas in the final four at Blue Bloods. How about that? All right. <laughs> hey, I think both of those would be great final fours. I think, honestly, a final four with any of the teams remaining would be great. Like, I think, and think about how rare that is. Gonzaga, Arkansas, Texas Tech, Duke, UNC, UCLA, Purdue, St. Peter's. If they were to make it to a final four, can you imagine? Uh, and then, obviously, you have Arizona, Nova, uh, Houston, Michigan, Kansas, Providence, Iowa State, Miami. If any of those teams made it to the Final Four, I would be stoked. So there, I don't think there's a single bad combination of, uh, of games here left. Um, that's all we got on the pod today. We'll be back on Tuesday with another episode. We will wrap up uh, basically everything we've had up until now on the college basketball front. Uh, we will talk a little bit of NBAs. We're getting to that 10 remaining game benchmark, which we will surpass this weekend. 
And based off of how things have gone, we're probably going to have another bombshell NFL news story to talk about. So we will hit all of that on Tuesday. Thank you, Scotty. Thank you all for listening. Again, go check out the Denton Day Show uh, if you want to hear a podcast and a little bit about my story as well as some, uh, some great basketball talk and some other stuff as well. So for the boys, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. And as always, take it easy, everybody.